thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. Oh, and Kim Morrison is in New Zealand, and I'm Cindy O'Meara. <laughs> <laughs> and she is having a ball over there, isn't she? She is. She's just, the photos that she's sending are just stunning through her social media. Um, New Zealand is beautiful. It is. It's just beautiful. Mm. Actually, I've been looking at all of her, her photos, and Matt and I were having a conversation just the other day, and we were actually flirting with thinking of maybe going to New Zealand for Easter. And I said, to, I said to Matt, I said, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to talk to Kim and Cindy to find out where we need to go if we're only going to go for such a short break. So don't get off the phone after the call, Cindy, because I'm going to need to pick your brains as to where to go for, you know, like just a short, beautiful oh, break because okay. we've never been. Oh, well, why don't you just come with me? I'm leaving on the 3rd, arriving in Christchurch, going to Kaikoura, <sighs> seeing, oh, you just come with me. You, yeah, it's fine. Okay. Done, done, <laughs> signed, sealed and delivered. So yeah. We'll Bags are packed. Bags are packed. Yeah. <laughs> so everybody listening to the call, without our beautiful Kimmy here, we decided to have a think about, you know, what was fun to talk about. And Cindy came up with bringing a special guest onto the call, um, or onto the show, called Tanya Mitten. Welcome to the show, Tanya. Oh, thank you guys for having me. I'm really, yeah, really pleased to be part of this. Well, thanks for joining us because you and I have something very similar in common. We're both master practitioners and master trainers in neuro-linguistic programming. So this is going to be a conversation on Up For A Chat that is going to be so down the rabbit hole. So I think <laughs> I, I would advise all of our listeners to strap yourself in, people. <laughs> Absolutely. Going down the rabbit hole is a good thing. You never know what you're going to find. This is it. So, Tanya, just to give our listeners a bit of background, right now, well, I guess that the main part that you have um, or the main thing that you've been working in or the main field you've been working in is with equestrian. So with our horses and our horse riders and training our horse riders around mindset and how to maximize their performance. Mm, Um, Tell Absolutely. Us, tell us about what got you into that. Okay. Look, my background has been horses, uh, look, as long as I can remember. Um, I started riding in Germany where I grew up at the age of 11. And I guess my parents are still waiting for me to grow up one day and, you know, grow out of horses, as they would call it. But I think right now that's probably not going to happen. So uh, right, so we're waiting for you to get to, 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 to become a be a good big girl and, and move beyond horses. Yeah, but look, ev- I think everyone who's ever been involved in horses knows that there is a real addictive factor there. Mm. And you know, when you start with horses, once you just can't give them up. There's something really, really special about horses. And, you know, as I've discovered now, there is so much amazing learning that we can actually get from horses that helps us grow as individuals and, you know, just human beings, which is that's where my passion comes in to now. Do you know, it's so fascinating that you say that because 
I'm the world's biggest animal lover and I and I look at animals and I look at how they interact with each other and how they interact with our planet and it's there's mm. so much that we can learn from them that as humans I think we we disregard or a lot of people disregard for those who are not close to animals and don't have that connection what is it specifically mm. specifically that you've seen with horses that we can learn from mm. Look, Karen, basically with horses, um, what I find is horses are so honest. You know, they give us a really good, true feedback of who we are at that moment in time. You know, horses don't have um, what's called a frontal lobe, which gives them that rational thinking part that we are using. So, therefore, you know, horses don't have that part of the brain where they go, you know what, you're doing all the right things right now and I should be doing, you know, what you ask me to, but I'm not going to because you didn't feed me last night at five o'clock when I was waiting for dinner. <laughs> I had to hang around and wait until 7.30 and just because of that, I'm going to muck up now. You know, horses don't have that part of a brain. So, they basically give us very true feedback every moment in time exactly of what, you know, what we ask them, who we are, how we ask. And I think from a personal development aspect, you can't get a better coach, a better teacher than that. Wow, so, I had no idea about that. I didn't realize that because I always used to think, oh, because lucky my horse kicked me one day. And um, true, I was behind her, and I was I was cleaning um, her poo out of the uh, float, and she just kicked me. And I thought, oh, she must be mad at me for not coming around yesterday or something. You know that that was my thought. I didn't. Yep. I never had no idea that it's moment in time for them. They don't think about what you've done before. Wow. Mm, absolutely, and you know, I think it's very common for a lot of people to put onto horses our way of thinking because it just makes it so much easier to relate to them, to, um, you know, understand what they're trying to tell us. But really the reality is that horses respond 100% in the moment. And, you know, they, that is fantastic because they also respond to I guess, who we are on an emotional level at that moment in time. And that's what often riders don't realize. So give us an example of um, a person coming to you who maybe is afraid of their horse, um, is not riding well, the horse is playing up. Can you give us an example of, of what happens between the human and the horse once they get that realization? So perhaps an example of someone coming to you with a problem, mm. uh, how you solve that and then uh, what's the result? I, I, I just, I, see, I can't get my head around what you do so I, I want to understand this. Mm, absolutely. Look, what would be sort of a typical example, Cindy, um, would be that if someone comes to me and they say they've had a bad experience, you know, either they had a fall off their horse or they took their horse out maybe to a competition or a trial ride and something scary happened and then they lose their confidence or they, you know, they just get worried about getting back on their horse. 
So what I would normally do, I'll sit down with that rider and I'll have a bit of a chat to them first. Now, I'm sure that Karen can relate to that. When I talk to a rider, neurolinguistic programming is fantastic when it comes to language. So by the rider telling me their story, just by the words they're using, I get a pretty good idea where they're coming from. And see what a lot of people don't realize is that our beliefs, and that can be limiting beliefs or that can be empowering beliefs, beliefs are generally reflected by the language we're using, so by the words we're using. So let's just say if that rider that I'm sitting down and having a chat to is telling me that story that they said, look, last time I rode my horse down the road, you know, I was just halfway down the road, nice quiet track, I was on the long rain, was a beautiful day, I was sort of daydreaming along, all of a sudden I came to this big tree on the side of the track and as I was just about to ride past, that kangaroo jumped out that I didn't see, my horse didn't see it, my horse got a fright, turned around, started to run back, I nearly fell off. And, you know, now every time I get on my horse and I go out for a trial ride, I'm waiting for the kangaroo because mm -hmm. I know that something's going to happen. So I'm already getting all worried and all wound up. And all I can think about is when is a kangaroo going to come? And if it happens, am I going to fall off? You know, that's kind of a story that that could very well happen. And the interesting part is then, as people, and that's not just horse riders, you know, that's people in general. As people, we start to create a story. Now, the story that we often make up depends on the experiences that we've had in the past. Now, what people also don't realize is when they go into a story, and in that case, being, let's say, a negative story, you know, waiting for the kangaroo to come out again and then potentially having a fall of their horse and getting hurt, that automatically affects the way they're breathing and their whole energy. And that is the part that a horse responds to. Ah. So what's happening is the people are living through the story rather than the reality. And Absolutely. And it's interesting because they could ride a horse. And I, I was, I'm just remembering when I was running and I was, um, I got myself up to about 16 kilometres. And you'll remember this, Cindy, because I think I called you and Kim in tears. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I tripped on a pandanus nut and rolled my ankle. And then I took six weeks off to try and heal my ankle. And then I went out for my first run and I was nervous and then I thought mm. to myself, I thought, hang on a second, I've been out for a run a thousand times and haven't tripped on a pandanus nut, but the one run where I did, that's the one that I'm remembering? Mm. Hang on a second. So it was, it, was, it was, I was living through the story rather than through the reality, and as a result of that, it made the experience for me just in that one run, because I got over myself real quick, but just in that first run, it made that quite um, unnerving. So I can imagine for people who not aware of how we think, I guess, 
um, mm-hmm. would live through the story and then that would affect their performance and it would give them anxiety and it would make them feel uncomfortable. So thank goodness for you to be able to help people get beyond that, um, Tanya, so that they can open up. Mm. Well, see, Karen, I think that's that's sort of the best part with horses because – and, and as you are absolutely right, you know, you can take that scenario into any other area of life, you know, mm. either into a sport, into, you know, relationships, work environments, really anything. The best thing that, you know, and, and that's where I love horses so much. Yeah. The best thing about horses is that the response and the learning we get from a horse. Because, you know, as I was explaining there, when someone lives through their story, and let's say they live through their negative story, so their negative experience, automatically the breath becomes more shallow, the breath becomes shorter, and generally sort of gets a little bit stuck, you know, sort of in the upper part of our chest. Now, you know, in, in normal life, we also call that stress. Mm. And I mean, we all know, you know, how stress affects our life. Now, the cool thing with horse riding and what I can teach people is that the way their horse responds when their breath comes up becomes shallow and gets stuck in, in their chest area. Because what happens then, naturally our body starts to get tense. Now, the, the part of the body that gets tense is generally around the shoulder areas and, you know, as a horse rider, that affects the way we hold our rein. It affects the way we control the horse's bit and, and ultimately how to communicate with the horse. The other part also it affects with tension is the pelvis area and the groin area. Because, you know, when you think of a fetal position, which is our natural um, sort of safety position, if you like, you know, if, if someone perceives that they may get hurt, they naturally start to sort of roll themselves up. Mm. Now, they do that because they want to control their, the part of the body where all their vital organs are kept, which yeah. is sort of the chest area. Now, what happens when the breath is up, you sit on a horse and you get tight through the shoulders you get tied through the groin and in the sort of stiff in the pelvis area, you start to block your horse a lot. And Cindy, I'm sure you can relate to that, you know, you with, with all your riding experience and background. Mm. Um, so then what happens, we are triggering the horse's natural flight instinct. Mm. Now, when horses get scared, you know, their brain kind of says to them, in order to be safe, you've got to run away. So then horses get tense, they get quick, their head comes up and they start to get sort of, you know, a little bit faster. And then often riders respond to that by getting even tighter, holding on even more. And then, you know, you've got that sort of never-ending circle that sometimes doesn't end all that well. But, and here is the really cool part, when I can get a rider while they're on their horse to change the way they think, so basically I ask them, you know, tell me about some of your best rides. You know, when did you have the most fun? Like what ride do you remember that you were 
so excited you didn't want to get off the horse. The moment they change their story, they change the movie they play in their mind, and they start to think back to the good rides, automatically their breath starts to respond as well, and they give me a big breath out. You know, you hear that, oh, wow, that ride was awesome. And straight away the horse responds. So often like the horse's ear comes back to the rider, their head goes down, the horse relaxes, their stride changes, so they take longer steps. And to experience that change from a, you know, a rather large animal, that is so powerful for the majority of people. It really gives them a reflection of how their thinking actually impacts their body and the energy they give out. And, you know, people respond to that energy similarly, just that we don't get a, um, wow. a feedback that's quite that clear in that instant. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> it, it, it really is, you know, because as you're telling the story, I'm like going, well, if it affects the horse like that and it has no frontal um, lobe. Frontal lobe. Yeah. So then, but the human has the frontal lobe, but it's as a human, we still must sense that, but we just don't see it as well. Although having said that, you know, when you're uptight and, you know, you're aggressive or something like that, people around you become uptight and aggressive. And then when you're yeah. calm and relaxed, people become calm and relaxed. And, and I remember doing this one time, um, oh, doing neuro-linguistic programming as a 19-year-old and they're doing the mirror and the matching. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I remember mm-hmm. doing, mirroring and matching. And that's basically what I figure, Tanya, you're doing is the horses are mirroring and matching the human that is near or around or on top of the horse. Yeah, absolutely. Was- Oh, I just think that is absolutely awesome source because it's almost as if the human can have a frontal lobotomy. (laughs) (laughs) Then if they do that, then the horse and the human are in sync. And, you know, it's it's actually quite an interesting um, analogy because there's a lot of work that I'm doing right now around removing thought and removing emotion and it's mm. easily done. It's easily done. Like if one of the one of the exercises that I do in some of my events is where I say to everybody, okay, create a person. Imagine that there's a person um, next to you and they're a fictitious person and I want you to take all of your thoughts and all of your feelings and just for a moment just suck them out of you and put them into that fictitious person, into that imagined person standing next to you. Yeah. And then as soon as you do that, what's left with you is just – and nothingness, just pure silence where there is no thought and there is no emotion. And very quickly the thought and emotions come rushing back, but if you consistently put it in with the person that you've imagined, put it next to you, put it next to you, so all that busyness, all that head noise, put it next to you, put it next to you, mm. then what's left is just pure silence. And then that version of you or that, that, that real you can actually be with anything without having a judgment about it, without having a thought about it, without having an emotion about it, all that there is is left is freedom. And from that point, if a rider or a person can be with 
the horse or be with the business or be with the mother-in-law or be with the partner or <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with my mother-in-law but you know like and I, and and I mean that with all my heart Marilyn I love you with all my heart I absolutely do I think you're beautiful but I you know I, so I'm, please don't take that personally oh my god what have I just said so <laughs> but I mean with anything a person can be with anyone or anything without having any judgment or attachment to it yeah. Then yeah. perhaps we are our own worst enemies because of our evolution and our evolvement. Perhaps there is greater experience of expansion in our ability to forget ourselves and to remove ourselves from the equation and everything that makes up ourselves and remove the self from the equation. Then there's greater you know opportunity to experience what's truly there in the moment as opposed to what we bring from the past or anticipate from the future. I just got myself a little bit lost there. <laughs> Straight down the rabbit hole, head first, bang. <laughs> well, I, I know, Tanya, that one of the things that you're doing now is that, I, 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 you know, for the horse lovers out there, uh, I know you have clinics and um, you teach um, riders and, and I know that you're working with the Australian Institute of Sport with this. So this is no, you know, pie in the sky thing. Mm. We are actually working with top athletes in doing this. Mm. But I know that you um, have a place uh, near us on the Sunshine Coast in Mumbai. And now what you're doing, if you can um, explain to everybody, I, I understand you're still doing what we've been talking about, but what you're doing is bringing people in that do not have horses and are not about horses, but teaching them with the help of a horse how to change their state, their story um, their, and their life. Can, can you explain what you're doing and how you're doing that? Yeah. So are you still there? We are. We're absolutely yeah. here. Far okay. away. Um, yeah, look, we absolutely, we just bought um, an amazing property out at um, Wombai, which we're going to turn into an equestrian success mindset training center. So that's that's really cool and it's, it's really exciting. Um, so what we're doing, I run clinics all around Australia um, teaching riders, you know, of all levels, um, from beginner riders in all dis disciplines up to the high-performance squad riders, which are basically the riders we are sending off to world championships and, and Olympics. Um, so I, I work really with a broad range of riders and different experiences because this is so valid really to everyone. Mm. But as you mentioned, Cindy, one of the things we're starting to get into now is teaching non-riders by using horses exactly all those things that we've just talked about, you know, how their thinking affects them personally um, affects their state, their energy, their body language, and how to overcome some of these old stories. You know, basically how to make better choices in thinking. Um, I think often, you know, when we 
when we, um, you know, work with other people, it's so easy to kind of blame other people and saying, you know, I do all the right thing and, you know, they just got their stuff involved and, or, you know, they just don't like me and, and that's why they, you know, responded to me that way. The cool thing with horses is, you know, that just doesn't even come in the equation because, you know, as we said before, horses are just so true in their feedback and so in the moment. So I think there's a lot to be learned from horses for all people, you know, for business people, for, um, you know, mums and dads, how to relate better to themselves, how to relate to, you know, their families better and basically how their own energy affects other people around them. So what we're going to do with horses is to focus sort of like on the groundwork and being with the horses. So you don't have to be a rider. You don't have to get on a horse to to experience that magic of feedback that horses can give you. And, um, you know, my aim is to really sort of um, give people that opportunity to learn from that because I know how much it has affected me. Um, you know, now that I know how crucial my thinking is, how crucial my my breathing is, how crucial it is that what I'm expecting, you know, that I'm starting to create that because of the choices I take, because of the energy that I'm putting out, um, I just want to teach more people that. Oh, how exciting. You know, I, I think you've really um, hit the nail on the head there and you talked about creating the energy you're putting out, the thoughts that you have. And I look, I, I believe that we have our own successes. We, we have our own, like... Uh, I was. I had to do the forward for Jess Ainsco's new book coming out, and it's it's actually her post posthumous. It's her book, um, "Make Peace with Your Plate." And as I'm writing it, um, I am thinking about um, what people perceive about her life, and their perceptions was, "Oh, she he had bad luck. Oh, she mm. was just that was just good luck." And and so while I w when I'm writing it, I'm remembering a, a parable of about a man and his son who um, are judged by a town as when something happened to them, it was either good luck or bad luck. And so I think the first um, part of the parable was when the horses ran off. He had beautiful he had a beautiful horse. That's right. And the king wanted to buy it, and then the king didn't. He wouldn't let the king buy it, and the horse ran up, and all the the townspeople said, oh, that's bad luck. Oh, that's bad luck. You should have sold it to the king. You would have been better off. And then the horse comes home with 10 other horses behind it. Oh, that's good luck. You were lucky you, you know, the horse came home. And, you know, and then the son rides the horse and the son breaks the leg. And, oh, that's bad luck. You know, that, that was not good. And then the next thing that happens is there's, there's a war, but the son's got the broken leg, so the, um, she, he can't go to war. Oh, that's good luck, you know. So I was going through this whole scenario as I'm rewriting the forward for her, her book and realising that we all believe our life is good and bad luck. We don't realise that we have total responsibility and that we create an energy in our life and we create exactly what 
our life will be. And I, ne- mm. I got this so fully um, meeting Karen. That was, you know, I really got that with Karen. But I also got it with a girl that I met in Europe, um, Michelle Nielsen, and started with, the two, with both Karen and, and Michelle, I started to put the steps into creating the energy changes, the gratitude, the, the, all of those things that then allowed life to run smoothly. And not looking at life as, oh, that was good luck, that was bad luck or anything like but just it is. It just happened. But that takes me to the next step of my life or my life's purpose. And I looked at, at Jess in this way and I saw Jess as a girl that at 16 knew that there was something wrong but refused to listen to what was wrong. And then at 22, diagnosed with cancer, said she wouldn't live long made all these choices in her life. And I never see anything as bad or good with her life. I actually see a beautiful rhythm with her life and who she chose to be in her life, such as the beautiful Talon, her fiancé. And I, I just kind of go, when I look back in hindsight, I see the creation that she did and the energy that she gave off and the people she left in her wake in order to carry on her message. And... Like, I know I've gotten very excited about what you've said, but this is it. This is it. Yeah. People have no idea that it's their energy, their, their, what they create, what they're thinking, how they're thinking, how they're breathing, what they're grateful for that can change their life. And to do it with a horse and to show yeah. them that – because I know, I, you know, I've ha- I love horses. I've, I've had horses for years and years and years and I love riding and – I know when I'm uptight, Lucky's uptight. When I'm relaxed, we have the best time. We have so much fun. I come back energized. and But when I'm uptight, like she just fills me straight away and I've just – I have to change it and I love this. I, I, just, I just think hmm. that if people could get this, how different the world could be. You know, the social media at the moment and the, the bitching and the, the – um, the stuff that's going on in social media with regards to food and health, which is my forte. Yes, I agree with you too, puppy dog, not just horses. <laughs> um, you know, I, I just feel that if people would realise that the, sh- the energy that they're putting out when they're, they're you know, screaming down their <laughs> they're screaming down their, um, their um, keyboard because that's what they're doing then they would realise that what they're doing is hurting themselves, not so much the person that they're actually putting their vengeance and energy out to. And it's, it's rife at the moment. It's just rife. I think, I think you... Yeah. Sorry. No, sorry. You go, Tanya. Go for it. <laughs> I, I, I think you're absolutely right there. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we know, like, you know, if this is horse riders or, you know, anyone else, we, you know, we tend to respond to other people depending on how we feel about ourselves. You know, mm. I think that's, that is the truth behind it. And I think everyone can identify that if we, you know, if you feel in a really good place, you know, you're having fun, you're doing all the things you want to do, you're really happy. It doesn't matter what other people do. We become a lot more tolerant. Um, Mind you, I'm going to have to kick my dog out now. (laughs) (laughs) 
It's actually quite cute having him chime in every now and then. (laughs) She wants to have a bit of a chat too here, I think. Um, So when people are not in a good place, then they tend to become a lot more, um, you know, uptight about things. They become a lot more, uh, you know, maybe aggressive or critical to others. However, when they're in a good place, you know, we don't really care if someone says something that's not that's not the right thing. We just let it go. That that energy then has a massive impact on other people and that is changing other people around us. Now, what I find, I work a lot with very passionate horse riders and you know, a lot of passionate horse riders are the riders that have maybe been riding as a kid, had early experiences, um, then maybe had to give up riding because, you know, they had a career, they had a family and, and stuff just got in the way. And then they start again later on in life. And that's your typical mums. Now, I don't know what you both found with your experience, but I find, you know, being a mom myself, it's so easy to put everyone else first. And I think, you know, that is definitely what I find with a lot of, in particularly moms, because they're so busy, they put everyone else first. You know, they put their kids first, the husband first, the horse first. But then when they come to a clinic, and they learn about how they affect everyone else around them, how their thinking affects not only their, um, you know, their life and their family and their, their kids, but also the horses. What I found is when you can give people a motivator to change that they're passionate about, then people are willing to change. And sadly, for most people, their own health, their own happiness, their own well-being, sadly, is often not enough of a motivator to change. So, you know, when I bring the horses in and I say to, to people who are busy, you know, if you can take a little bit of time every day, write out some of the good stuff that happens in your life, you know, Have a journal that every night before you go to bed, you write down some things that you've done through the day that you're proud of yourself, that you can pat yourself on the back, that you're grateful for. That has a massive impact on how we think. So that is a great tool to change your thinking, to go away from all the, oh, this didn't happen and that didn't happen and I couldn't do that. To actually, when you take the time and you go, you know, what well, what did I do today that I'm proud of myself? What did I do that, you know, I was really happy doing that? What did I do that actually made me smile? That starts to gradually, little bit by little bit, change our movie that we're playing in our mind. It changes that story. And if the motivator is then that, hey, as a result, guess what? Your horse goes better. Your horse is happier. Your riding improves. And if you're passionate about riding, which let's face it, you know, the majority of horse riders are hugely passionate about their riding and their horse, 
that gives them enough of a drive to go out of their comfort zone and do something that's a bit different in order to make those changes. And so one of the things that I tell everyone generally on day one of a clinic, the only way you get change is if you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. There's no point doing the same things, you know, thinking the same thoughts, doing the same actions, behaving the same way, and then expect a different outcome. I mean, you know, that is Albert Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same things over and over, expecting a different outcome. We know that's not going to happen. So making changes by what you think how you see yourself, you know, creating a new picture of yourself, not the picture that has all the, I'm not good enough here and I can't do that and I have a lack of this, but actually becoming really comfortable and confidence, uh, confident, you know, to pat yourself on the back and going, you know what, I'm actually doing a really good job. I'm actually so proud of myself for who I am, what I do, how I affect people around me, the stuff I do on a daily basis, when people can start to become more comfortable with themselves and they therefore change the way they talk to themselves, that has a massive effect on their horse. That gives them the passion. And one of the greatest tools that I found or the easiest way to explain to people how this works is, you know, generally I say to people, what would happen if you were with your best friend and that best friend just had a bad day? You know, if that's riding and they just had a terrible ride or, you know, if they've just, you know, said something to their partner or they did something and, you know, they just had a terrible day. As a best friend, you know, what would you say to them? You know, would you say to them, geez, you know, you are terrible. Like, I'm going to cross you off the best friendship list. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't be writing. You know, you shouldn't be a mother. Like, you are horrendous. Like, you know, I don't even want to be seen with you in public anymore. You know, we wouldn't say that. So, therefore, that means that we know exactly what to say to make someone else feels better because generally what we would say is oh come on but you're doing a great job here and you're doing a great job there and you know you're awesome and everyone loves you and you're fantastic and you know we know exactly what to tell our best friend to make them feel good so let's just imagine for a moment if we can teach people to become their own best friend in their mind and they start to use the same language that they already use when they talk to their friends, that they use when they talk to their kids. But this time they actually, you know, do a U-turn and they use the same language when they talk to themselves. I mean, just imagine the change we would get. It would be phenomenal. You know, there's um, a really good TED video um, explaining what you have just explained amazingly. And it's, a video called The Case for Emotional Hygiene. And it's um, by a gentleman by the name of Guy Winch. And he says exactly the same thing as you, Tanya. He says, he talks about this woman who's been recently divorced and she goes, um, she goes out on a date. She goes on one of those dating sites and finds this 
gorgeous man, you know, he's a professional, he drives a beautiful car, he, um, he's, a, a, you know, good looking, has everything, everything going for him. And she goes out on this date and two hours later, he gets up and he says, you know what, this isn't working. I don't think that you and I match and don't get me wrong, but I don't think this is going to work and let's not waste any more time on it and walks out of the date. And she rings her best friend. This is how he says it. She rings her best friend and says, oh, you know, he walked out. He didn't think it was right. And the best friend says, what were you thinking? He's gorgeous, he's rich, he's, he's got everything going for you, he's a professional and you're fat and you're dumpy and you're this and you're that and you're bum, 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 you know, and she, he goes, she goes through this whole scenario. But in actual fact, she didn't ring the best friend. That was the tirade she gave herself when he walked out the door on her. Mm-hmm. So, wow. what you, I would, I would suggest everybody watch this. I actually put it on my video of the month in my March newsletter because I felt that this is what we do, is that we attack ourselves. We would never do that to a friend, ever. You would never say to your best friend, oh, what were you thinking? He had everything and you have nothing. You you know, and I'm I'm in total agreement with you. I I guess what I wanted to do is just drive that point home that our listeners realise that it's about time we stop this. Mm. I, I remember, I don't know if we've already said this on a podcast, but I remember Kim um, talking uh, at Jess Ainsco's funeral after party um, or after celebration, I should say. And my daughter was standing right next to her when she said that. And she says, I am sick of people telling me that their legs are too fat or this is too much and this is not right. And, and poor Jess just wanted an arm that worked. And she couldn't, you know, do yoga in those last couple of months. She couldn't do paddle boarding. And she said, people have to stop complaining about their body when their body is 100% working and functional. And I went home and my daughter said to me, Tania said to me, because she's a, um, a surfer and she's got big arms. And she said to me, mum, you know, I always complain about the size of my arms. She says, I always, and I always look at them and go, oh, why are they so big? But they're big because she used, and they're not that big, by the way. <laughs> this is just what she thinks. Well, um, I was, was going to say, she's tiny. She's little. She's a tiny little thing. She's like a size six, and she, but she's oh, got yes. muscly arms. But she complains about it. And she said to me, after Kim said that about people and Jess, she said, I will never ever say anything to myself about my arms again Mm. and that was powerful and I just Mm. I think what you said Tanya was very very powerful it just made it brings home the fact that we have to stop this and the women that are listening to this and the men that are listening to this that complain about what they have that are fully functioning and if they are complaining and they're not happy with it, then do something about it. Mm. But if you're, if you're not prepared to do something about it, then love it. it accept it. Um, oh, yeah, I just keep going. I just want you to keep <laughs> So far, you've just given me so many ahas. I've actually written them down. Like th- this was my favorite, what you've said. It was, we respond to people how we feel about ourselves. Mm. Mm. You know, that is so true. You know, when somebody is abusing you, and Karen, you say this all the time, Mm. when someone's abusing you, you realize 
It's not about you. Yeah. It's actually mm. all about them. And if you can have empathy that what they're saying, that you think they're directing at you, they're actually saying about their selves, and I learned this from you, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have empathy that they think that, that about themselves. And they don't know it. Yeah. This is the the thing that you see on on social media all the time. You know, Carl Jung um, was one of the first psychotherapists and psychologists to postulate that perception is projection. So it's like whatever we perceive in another is simply a projection of ourselves. And when you see it on social media and there are these great tirades and these, you know, great atrocities and insanities and rants and ravings and such hatred it's just a reflection of what's going on for the person and you can see it on social media because it's so it's such a a representation of what's happening for the collective consciousness like what's happening for us as a as a race in um the self-hate and the projection of that self-hate onto other people to the extent that we'll take people's lives because there's so much self-hatred going inside, it's projecting outside. But the thing is, we're not getting it. We're not seeing that it's what's going on inside of ourselves that we're projecting out onto the world. We're still trapped in the thought process of thinking the world is so bad. But when we stop seeing such self-hatred and such suffering inside of ourselves, we'll stop projecting it out onto others and then we'll stop taking it on and the whole you know, the whole cycle of all of that will stop perpetuating itself. And I hope that it happens in my lifetime. Oh, I, me too. I, I, hope I, get, I hope I get to witness bliss at some point because at this point, at the rate that we're going, just since social media has been so prolific over the last sort of five years, let's say, the, um, the, 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 the pain and suffering has escalated on such a massive scale because we're all crying out for attention. And the more attention we give to it, the more attention and the more energy we give to it, the more it becomes, uh, I, I mean, I know it's an illusion, but it, it, the more it becomes real for everybody. And then the more we talk about it and the more we focus on it, the more it becomes real and the more we talk about it, the more we focus on it and the more it becomes real. Mm. So the whole thing just escalates out of control and, and, you know, I hope it comes to a point where we don't implode. I hope it gets to a point where we recognise what we're doing to ourselves and instead of imploding, we expand. Yeah. yeah. There's a Look new at- TED video that um, people might like to watch. It came out um, this month or March. It'll be April um, by the time um, everybody hears this. Um, and it's The Price of Shame by Monica Lewinsky. Oh, yes. I cried through that. I actually... <sighs> looked at myself, where was I in 1998 when this was happening to her? She was 22, I was 38. You know, I had a a family, three children, and I didn't really take much thought as to what was happening to her as a human being, and I felt shame that I didn't. But that TED video, I believe, uh, really shows us what the media What's uh, and there wasn't as much social media then, although she did talk about um, digital media. There wasn't the social media. It it is. Um, I think it's a game changer for um, what people are actually saying out there. Such as she talked about people that had been shamed on on the in the public eye and had committed suicide. She said her she was on suicide watch and. 
you know, I think this whole thing about changing the way we think and loving ourselves and being kind to ourselves and the whole thing needs to change. It, it has to change. And it's, I'm so glad that people like you two, and it is you two, you know, I'm the food girl. I do, I'll get your mind right by eating the right foods, but it's the thinking, I really believe, where we need to make major changes. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. I totally agree. I totally agree. So, okay, so um, Tanya, you're going to do that with horses. Um, mm. I'm going to do that with everything that I'm working on. So I think together we've got it nailed. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I think, think we, we could be a good team. We've, we've got pretty broad shoulders. We can take that on. No problem. <laughs> Look, just, just to what we just talked there, I mean um, – I've got one thing that I sort of say to a lot of people and look, it's it's just, I guess, my way of looking at it and it seems to make sense to a lot of people. So maybe it makes sense to your listeners as well. If, if I ever come across, you know, someone saying something not very nice or being a bit aggressive or, you know, being too abrupt, my way of dealing with that is in my mind, I give them a hug because I think they need a hug of exactly what both of you just said about, you know, it's a reflection of who they are. It's not really a, a reflection of me. So I think if we can make that one shift instead of um, reacting to someone with aggression, if we get aggression, or if we're, you know, instead of reacting to someone um, sort of with violence when we receive violence, Start to give people a hug. And even if you only give them a hug in your mind, that alone changes your energy and it will have a, refo- it, it will have a reflect on them. It, you may only plant a seed. You know, sometimes we have to just keep planting seed after planting seed after planting seed. And then somewhere down the track, that seed may take off. It's not our job to make, to get every seed to take off and change every person. I think it's our job to planting seeds and the best way to do that is by staying true to our energy. So if you can start to give someone a hug when they need one, even if it's just in your mind, and then let it go. You've planted a seed, you sent them on their way, you've given them love. Love is one of the things that makes seeds grow the fastest. And you know, coming back to, you know, my my relationship with horses and my teaching there with horses, when people start to realize and see and experience for themselves how they are changing energy, a simple breath out which reflects the letting go of things can have a physical effect on a 600-kilo horse by them dropping their head down, by them breathing out themselves, by them just sort of, you know, relaxing every muscle in their body. I think that gives people that huge aha moment of going, you know what, before I thought it was only a breath that I'm using to survive. I thought it was only a, you know, a breath out that affects me and no one else. And now when I'm starting to realize that a really big breath out 
which is that breath out of letting go, sending love, planting seeds, gets a massive horse to breathe out as well, drop their head down and relax every muscle in their body, you know, then people start to realize how profound this whole concept really is. Yeah. yeah. The thing is, is that we, so we know this, don't we? We, we actually mm-hmm. do, although the breath was something that um, I'm going to try because that's one thing I don't do, but I'm going to try that one. Although I do find myself when I need to relax myself, Dan, I will take deep breaths. So maybe I do it automatically. Make but sure you take deep breaths out because the key thing is with most of most people when they're stressed and they know they have to start breathing more, they start to take deep breaths in, but then they kind of get stuck on the outward breath. It's actually the outward breath that's the important one. It's like, you know, imagine if you've had a really busy week or you've been traveling a heap and you've just come home and you know you're going to have three or four days at home now and you've got a bit of quiet time. You know, imagine that Mm. moment when you then, you come home, you sit down, you just realize that, okay, you know, it's, it's all over. I've got a few days at home and you sit down and you give that beautiful big ugh, breath yes. out that kind of lets it all go. That's that's the breath we're talking about. There you was, know, that, um, that's the magic one. There mm. was a woman, we just ran um, Speakers Fast Track, my speaker training program um, last weekend. And one of the girls who I had as my crew, you might have even seen her on social media, Rowena Jane. She's a, a yogi. Um, and she's also a raw food specialist. And she was my personal chef for the weekend, might I say. Talk about blessed. <laughs> um, she was actually talking about how life, a breath is a representation of life. And without the breath, like, well, not without the breath, obviously, without the breath, we don't, we're, we're not here. But she's saying the way that you breathe represents the way that you interact with life. And if you're breathing shallow and short mm, and sharp wow. and you're... You're, you're, you're constricted and congested, that's the way that you interact with life. And she said when you're breathing deep and slowly, that's the way that you're also interacting with life, where you're actually present to the moments and present to the experience of the breath, then you're present to the moments of life and you're present to the experience of life. And it was quite profound, actually, because it was at a time where, you know, usually when I'm speaking, I'm a little bit unconscious so, all right, I'm a lot unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> you seem so in the moment to me. <laughs> but she actually brought me down and she said, you know, you just need to really pay attention to your breathing to bring yourself back into the moment. And I can see how just by doing that, I can see how it relaxes the body and it relaxes all of the organs and the muscles. And, and you know, just bringing it back to what you're saying, Tanya, with, with horses, because they are so in the moment, mm. they're very much responding to what you're experiencing. And I can't help, I know this is going to sound a little bit um, funny, but I can't help but think of the movie Avatar. You know how yep. they... Um, when he's got to ride the, the, the horse-type creature and he's also got to ride that bird 
type, it's not a bird, but like a big dragon that flies. Yeah. And they yeah. call it Sihalu. It's just in their language. They call it Sihalu where he takes his long plait at the back of his hair and connects it with the palm. Oh, yeah. The horse, and the, then, of course, the horse feels him. And the horse will act based on his movement. And so will the dragon that flies will act on his movement. So he doesn't require language. He doesn't require anything. They just connect and they become one. And it's yep. such a it's such, it's actually a very beautiful part of the movie because at the time I remember thinking we are all connected, but now this podcast has kind of taken it to a whole other level for me in terms of our connection with animals and that they don't have the same way of thinking that we do. They can just feel us, and they respond to the way that we feel. It's just kind of it's it, it's kind of brought it all full circle for me. It's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I and, and I can see why horses would be so addictive to people. And I've often wondered, what is it about that connection between a human and a horse that's inseparable? Because you're so right, Tanya. People who are into their horses, they eat, live, sleep, and sleep and breathe them. You know, Absolutely. It, and it's a very unique connection. I'd love to understand that more. Well, I think, Karen, you have to come out here. I'll introduce <laughs> to to a couple of our horses and you, you've got to just get mm-hmm. that experience. You know, you you when you're with horses and, you know, as we commonly call it, when you catch the bug, yeah. which is the good bug, you know, you can't mm-hmm. let go. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's a cool thing. Because there's, you know, I know, like I've been doing horses for a long time, you know, over 35 years now. And I know that, you know, there is not enough time in this lifetime for me to learn everything there is. Um, particularly now that, you know, horses have taken on a completely different spin for me coming into the personal development aspect. So I reckon I have to come back, you know, for a couple more lifetimes to learn everything there is. And that's pretty cool too. So anytime you want to come out and, you know, want to get your hands dirty touching a few horses and cuddling them and, you know, getting that breathing um, reflection, absolutely. Hey, we're we're nearly neighbours. We're not that far away from each other. Oh, I am there. Cindy, can we go? Yeah, I would love to go and do it and just just see how how that happens. You know, you remind me, Tanya, of – and I'm trying to think of her name – she in the sixties um, lived with um, the apes. Um, oh, oh, she yeah, was, I just read about name? her recently. What, what's her name? Anne, um, was it an Anne? Uh, Anne? She, she lived with mm. the apes in Africa, and um, she's in her eighties now. And she continues to go around the world. And she said what she learned about family and love and socialising and um, communication. She learnt while she. Everyone will be saying her name um, outside this. <laughs> yeah, three yeah, of yeah. us. <laughs> uh, she, and, and she did because she. What she did was that she just sat there and she just watched them and and learnt so much from them. And and we. I think we see that with animals a lot. You know, they're, uh, they. If you watch David Attenborough and all the things he talks about, so horses um, because the people have a love for them. You know, the Indians had a love for them. The American Indians 
had an absolute love for them. And I, I remember in the books, um, Valley of the Horses, which was part of uh, Jean Elmel's books, she, you know, she talked about um, the connection that humans had with the horses. So, I, I look, I just love what, what you're doing and I just hope we start getting more ahas with regard to how we need to, number one, treat ourselves and how animals can actually, you know, I bet, Karen, you can say things about your dogs. like Oh, what, for sure. Yeah, what you perceive happens with your dogs when you're either heightened with excitement or just quiet and calm and how they change. Hey, do, do dogs mm. have a frontal lobe? No. Oh. No, I think they've got a little bit of a different sort of thinking process. Um, they they tend to sort of come into people more if we feel down, you know, if, if, if people sort of are sad or they feel down or they put themselves down, dogs tend to come and want to be with them. Where horses, if someone feels down and puts themselves down, horses just walk away. They kind of go like, you know what, you deal with your own stuff. When you're ready, call me and I'll come back. Oh, is that right? I love it. Absolutely. I can tell with my horses, you know, one one horse that I have in particular. Like, you know, if I sort of get stressed and I go, oh, you know, I've got to do all these emails and I've got to do all of this. I've got to work the horse and I don't have time. You can even hear now how my breath goes up. If I go in the paddock like that, he just takes one look at me from 100 meters away. He turns around and he walks off. <laughs> and that's kind of wow. my cue of going, okay, <laughs> thank wow. you for letting me know. I'll go back. I'll sit down. I'll, you know, take all my stuff out of my head and sort of put it on my desk to pick it up again later on, take a few big breaths out. And if I then go out in the paddock with the breath out – leaving my stuff behind he looks at me from the back of the paddock and turns around and comes walking up that is stunning oh my god you know that's (laughs) it's sometimes a little bit annoying because you know it's like this mirror it's right there (laughs) and you go you know what today i'm not in the mood for personal development i just want to have a ride and he goes yeah (laughs) and i would just he just keeps walking then so yeah it's it's pretty cool (laughs) Oh, my God. Mm. You know, I, I, I think you both need to come here for oh, a little yeah. while. I think we, we could we have do. awful, you know, huge fun. <laughs> we could even video it and put it up and make a show out of it. Yeah. Oh, that would definitely. be so much fun. You know, I remember um, I'm one of those girls that had horses um, when I was young and rode and loved horses and was besotted with them and then got a life with a husband and children and and that all changed and then my girls started to get interested with horses and I went yes so I bought the horses I bought everything you know and and they were interested for a period of time and then they stopped and I still have one of the horses back which enabled me then they were no longer riding so enabled me to get back in to riding but I remember as a young girl getting on a horse we didn't have bridles or saddles we would just have a a halter and we'd throw the halter on the horse and we just we had we had no qualms about it we didn't I didn't think we were just carefree we were out in the bush we were 15 we would throw ourselves on the horses and we'd just go and Mm. I don't I don't ever remember falling off I don't remember 
um, I don't remember, you know, it, it, because it, at that age and when you're out in the country and you're not in the city and you're not worried about boys because there's no boys around, it was just a bunch of girls, you never, you never had the fear, you never had – and your horses just went with you. And I, and I remember when I then got older and the whole thing started to change because my head was in it more rather than just that. Just freedom. I just, I'm just imagining. I'm remembering back what it was like and where I was and the horse I rode and and what we did. We'd go out for a day. We just throw ourselves on these horses and we'd just go out for a day and play in the water and um, we'd go places and then we'd come home by dark. And I don't ever remember my mum wondering where we were. We didn't have phones. We didn't have anything. Yeah, it was it was mm. weird, amazing. So yeah, and I it think that's a, one. Go on, sorry. That, that's one of those things. When when we are kids, we tend to not think about other stuff when we are on the horses. You know, I think that sort of shows it. You know, we don't go into the stories, we don't go into the movies of what could go wrong. You know, we just go out and we do, and we just have fun. Often, the older we get, the more we get hung up on the, oh, you know, I can't do this and I can't yeah. do that and shouldn't be doing this and this might be dangerous and. You know, we need to sort of remember what it was like when we were 15. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like we don't have a frame of reference for it, isn't it? I mean, when you're a kid and growing up, you don't know what to be frightened of. But by the time you get, like, a bit older, you're too damn scared to even get on a roller coaster. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I mean, I know from my own experiences, horses are also very good to sort of, you know, give your ego occasionally quite a literal, you know, sort of... Um, slam on the floor like they bring you down to earth very quickly mm, you know gosh. there were numerous oh. times where you know sort of like as a an older teenager where I got a bit sort of you know my my hat got a bit too big for me and I sort of thought like you know I know it all and I'm pretty awesome and I can do all of this and yes the learning you get in that department is also very true because I just go you know what you're not quite what you think you are <laughs> Oh, I love oh. it. See, I never got to that stage because mine was a holiday horse riding. I would, um, we would go, um, I, I wasn't there full time with the horses. I was only there on holidays. And so, and then, you know, as we got older and we, we didn't go there anymore. So interesting that, yeah, that they, they give you that little bit of a scold and just say, hey, you know, keep your humility and yeah, yeah, keep, keep it real. Keep, keep it real, it girlfriend. Real. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, so is, as you can see, there's lots and lots of good learnings in there. Yeah, there this has been an amazing mm. podcast. I feel like it's just it's been it's been fun. It's been enlivening. It's been enlightening. Bit of rabbit hole sprinkled in there. <laughs> Bit of responsibility. You know, I think if, if if anything, for everybody who's been listening to today's podcast, I think that there's a real opportunity for us to start to think a little bit differently by observing our animals. I think our animals, we think that we're here to train our animals, but I think our animals are here to train us. What do you guys reckon? Oh, definitely. Totes. Yeah, absolutely agree. Totes. Yeah. So, girls, we've come to the end of, the, of our time, so it's a bit of a shame because this was being fun. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for yeah. having me part of this. Like, I really enjoyed it. That was that was just fantastic. Oh, it's been a treat to have you on the show, Cindy. Thanks for bringing Tanya on. Well, just let Tanya um, 
tell our audience, in case somebody is interested in what she's doing, as to how they find you with regards to your website? Yep. Um, look, if you want to jump on my website, tanyamitten.com, it's Tanya with a J and Mitten, M-I-T-T-O-N. So on the website, um, there's a calendar with all the clinics that I've got coming up, where I'm traveling, but also you can sign up to a newsletter and some free videos there of me teaching and giving mindset advice, which is you know relevant for writers or non-writers. But um, yeah, if you jump on the newsletters, there's sort of new good stuff coming up there now that we're starting with our training center and yeah stay tuned i'll make sure i put it on the brief um when we're talking so that everybody knows that they can get it because you do spell your name a little bit different tanya so yes um i'll make sure that that's there so everybody can um click on that and and get through to the link all yours karen Well, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's podcast. It's been an absolute treat to share Tanya with you. Go to our Facebook page at allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat and leave your comments and any questions that you've got for Tanya, we'd love to pass them on to her and engage her in more conversation about what our animals can do for us. And if you've got a cow, go give him a hug. You can also (laughs) post all of your comments at allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. And make sure that you tune in next week, right here, same time, same station for Up For A Chat and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. We so love having you on the ride. Bye for now. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.